Tonight's scripture comes from Colossians 2. Uh, you can find it in page 11 of your bulletin, and it will also be projected above. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all around us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jimmy. Okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids Bulletin earlier. You can grab that now. There's a spot on there to jot down uh, three things to listen for. Here they are. The first uh, is Home Depot. Secondly, uh, ABCs. And then thirdly, uh, a paper shredder. Home Depot, ABCs, and a paper shredder. So with that, let let me pray for us as we look to this great passage together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you even more so, Lord, that as we gather around it as your people, you promise to be present among us. You promise that your your, your word will not return void when it is proclaimed in the presence of your people. And so, Lord, that's what we long for and hope for today. We pray that above all, we would come to see the fullness and the beauty of Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Uh, I think a lot of you know this, some might not. Uh, We're actually in the process of moving right now, which is both very exciting and also very exhausting, as you know. Um, And so our hope had always been that when our church uh, found its permanent home, Uh, that we could move uh, near to that church. And uh, in God's providence, that's just happened a whole lot more quickly than we anticipated. So uh, what we've been doing the last few weeks uh, is getting our current house ready to sell, which is a lot less fun than looking at our new house, right? Uh, And so what we have done uh, is a whole lot of painting, a whole lot of decluttering, and a whole lot of trips to Home Depot, right? And uh, Home Depot has become sort of a second home to me at this point. And um, I, I'm ready to not go back there uh, again soon. However, I actually do kind of love that place now. And, and here's why. Because uh, Home Depot literally has everything you need for every home project. And you hear that and you go well, like, well, yeah, of course that's the case. But, but here's what I've learned. This is my, my big lesson. They even have things that you need that you did not know you needed. And, and so what happens is I'll go with a project that I need to do and I get there and realize that they have this thing, whatever it is, that's actually gonna make this project way easier than I thought. 
At the same time, though, the, uh, it has taken me a, a long time to learn this. So what normally happens is that I get wrapped around the axle about something, trying to figure out how to do it, fail trying to do it, and then go to Home Depot and realize there was a tool that would have made that much easier. And so even this week, uh, Jeanette said to me at one point, she's like, I think you just need to go to Home Depot. It's just kind of like understood. Okay, I get it. I will leave now and go do that. So here's why I mentioned that. I, I mentioned that. Because that can almost be our situation when it comes to the way that we view Jesus. Here's what I mean. There are blessings and gifts that come from Jesus to us that we know that we need. And if you think about all the things that he has given to you, maybe the thing that you feel like you need the most that would be at the top of that list would be forgiveness for your sins. You realize that that I have this problem of my sin that I cannot fix on my own. I have this real need for forgiveness. And so what happens then is that it may be that 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 becomes the primary way that you view who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for you. He is the one who provides forgiveness. That is great because that is true. But but, but here's the potential danger with that. If he is only the one who forgives your sins then what can happen is that he can start to feel almost irrelevant to the other parts of your life. Because all of his work feels like something that that, that sort of happened in the past. And so it gets tough when you start wrestling with questions like this. Like, how do I deal then with the broken relationships in my family right now? Or, Or how can I begin to endure this sense of grief and loss and sadness? How could I begin to, to address and, and work on these addictions or these, these unhealthy patterns that I have in my life? Or maybe even a bigger question like this. How can I begin to know what true contentment looks like? And what happens is that if Jesus' work is, ex- is exclusively something that has to do with the forgiveness of your sins only, then it can almost feel like you've got to go looking elsewhere for those things. And, and you might not put it this bluntly, but I'm going to right now. It almost feels like you, you need something more than Jesus. I need Jesus for sure, but I also need something else. Something that's actually going to fulfill me in these ways that I don't see Jesus doing so. I, I describe that situation because that's actually pretty close to the situation that the Colossians find themselves in. So the, the, there was some sort of false teaching in Colossae at the time And it revolved around this question, is Jesus enough? And it was probably the case that that these people viewed Jesus as important, maybe even essential in some respects, but in order to really grow, in order to really mature in your faith, or maybe even just to live the life that you really long for, a life that's fulfilled, then you need something else. And so what Paul does in this passage, and this is really in the rest of chapter 2 that we're going to look at next week, is to say this, no. There is nothing else. You have everything that you need in Jesus right now already. There's nothing more. There's nothing more that needs to be added to him. No need to look to these other kind of mystical religions. No need to to return to these these practices of Judaism. No need to, to look for some other kind of religious experience. Because right now, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have everything you need in him. And so what he does in this passage is to show us some of what that means. 
to show us some of what it means that you already have everything you need in him. So what I want to do is frame this by looking at three implications of that from this passage. So here's the first. Because you already have everything you need in Christ, first, you can walk in him. You can walk in him. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so these two verses may be the two most important verses in the whole letter. Because what Paul does is give the theme of the entire letter right here. So this is the heart of his message. What's he saying? Well, I'm gonna look at a couple phrases. The first is this, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. So Paul says here, I want you to walk in him But he says that you're to do that as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, he's saying this. He's talking about the way that the Colossians have both heard and then received this message of the gospel. This this message about the, the redemptive work of Jesus. So this was the message that Epaphras brought, began preaching in Colossae, and then this church was formed around this message. And so so that this is what they have heard and received. And what Paul says is that when you hear and when you receive this message about Jesus and you've put your faith in him as this crucified and risen Lord, then something really important happens. In Paul's language, what happens is that you are united to Christ. And that is a a hugely important concept for us to lay hold of here, especially at this point in Colossians. So what is union with Christ? Well, most basically it's this. It means that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. It means that, that Jesus dwells with you. It means that Jesus dwells in you. And it means that you are now so identified with him that every single good thing that he has accomplished has now been credited to you. We're gonna see later that we actually share in his death and we share in his resurrection. Here's what's really important then for the Colossians. He's saying that all of the riches, all of the resources for growth, all of the resources for maturity in the Christian life are yours. And they are yours because you are united to Jesus. That's what happens when you receive him as Lord. And the way that Paul talks about this in his letters is usually with these prepositions. And so he says, in him, over and over again, and it's throughout this passage, one commentator says, union with Christ is like this scarlet thread that you see throughout this whole passage. So he says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Okay, so if that's the way you've received him, what does it mean to walk in him? It means this, to walk in him is to continue to live into the reality of that gospel message. To continue to live into the reality of your union with him. And he, does, he does, uh, gives us a couple of helpful images here. One is this. It's of a tree being rooted, and then he switches metaphors, and he jumps over to a building being built up. Okay, so kids, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about what a root, a set of roots does for a tree. These roots that are in the ground, these are the ways in which the nutrients from the soil will come into that tree. And it becomes the resources for that tree to grow up. Okay, so that, that's one image. Switch then to a building. Think about a foundation. How does a foundation function for a building? Well, the foundation is that on which a building is built. It underlies everything. 
And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you now, Colossians, are rooted in Christ. And every single thing you need to grow up is found in him. And then to mix metaphors here, you're also now being built up in him. In other words, Jesus is the very source, source of growth, of life, and of maturity in the faith. You don't need to look anywhere else for him. And so it's pretty obvious then how this would apply to the Colossians. If they're being tempted to look elsewhere and to think that there's some kind of practices or some kind of rituals that they need to, to, to grow, Paul is saying, no. What you need is to continue in Jesus. So why would that be important for us? A whole lot of reasons. I'm going to suggest one here. It's this. I think it can be tempting for us, particularly in our context, to, to think about the gospel as primarily the way in which one becomes a Christian initially. But then what can happen then is after you've trusted Jesus, you move on to sort of like these bigger or better or more significant things. And it's almost as if the gospel is the sort of 101 class, and now you get to graduate and move on to these 400-level courses. And what Paul says here is that that's not how it works. That there, there is never a point in the Christian life when you mature or, or sort of graduate or advance beyond this message of the gospel. You never move beyond that message. You, you instead go deeper into it. And so Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life, but the A to Z of the Christian life. And so when Paul says walk in Christ, he is saying continue to grow and go deeper into Jesus. Continue to, to work out all of the implications of what it means to be united to him. So what might that look like? Let me just give one example of how this could play out in a really practical way in your own life. Okay, so here's what I want to use as an example. Say that, that the struggle that, that feels like the tip of the spear in your life right now is your work. And it's really because it feels like you have an addiction to your work, that you are consumed by it. And that you've done everything you can to try to turn it off when you get home, but you know that you are not the, the parent that you want to be. You're not the friend that you want to be. You're not the neighbor that you want to be. You're not the roommate that you want to be. Because you are so addicted to your work. You are spending so many hours in that place. And there, there could be all kinds of reasons as to why that is. But let's just say you've done enough work to know that for you, it's that you have this nagging sense that if you are not successful at work, then you're actually a failure in all of life. Because what it feels like is that your worth as a person is tied to your success in your career. So here's the question then. How might Jesus speak to that? Well, in this way, what the gospel says is that your worth and your value is not found in what you do. It's not found in whether you are successful or not in your vocation. It is found squarely and eternally in Jesus himself. The one in whom you are justified, the one in whom you are fully and completely loved. And here's the great news about that. That will never change. That is certain and steadfast and so, so what that means is that that won't change regardless of what happens with your work. And so that, that's what it might look like to walk in Christ when it comes to your work. 
We can apply that all over the place. But, but what we need to see here is that what we need is not something in addition to the gospel. What we need is to go deeper into it. So that's the first implication here of, of already having everything you need in him. You can now walk in him. Secondly, because you already have everything you need in Christ, you don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to look anywhere else. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So what's happening here is that Paul for the first time is actually now talking about this false teaching. And what he says is that it's, it's a philosophy and when we hear philosophy, we think of something very narrow and intellectual and academic. What he's talking about here is a whole way of life in the world. And the way that he describes this life is that it's according to, the, to human tradition and according to these elemental spirits of the world. Uh, there is a whole lot of speculation as to what that phrase means. We're going to talk more uh, about what this could look like next week. Here's what I want you to notice, though. He doesn't give a lot of specifics. You notice that? Here's what he does say, though. He says that this false teaching, or maybe these false teachings, are empty. And here's why that matters. See, the claim of this false teaching is that you needed some other practice. You needed some other experience. You needed some other ritual in order to be filled. But what Paul says is that what all that stuff actually does is it's gonna leave you empty in the end. He's saying that there's no substance to it. Because all of this stuff has human origins. It doesn't come from God himself. And in fact, in the case of the Colossians, it may even come from some kind of demonic spirit or demonic power that, that is opposed to Jesus. That's probably what that phrase, according to the elemental spirits of the world, means. Here's the point, though. Paul's warning them because these are the ways that, uh, that these other ways of being filled are actually opposed to Jesus. And here's why that's important for us. Paul assumes here that there would be something really attractive about these ways. There'd be something that you would be drawn to about the possibility of being filled in these other ways such that you might even get held captive to them. That's why he's warning them in the first place. But here's the thing. If I were to ask you, why don't you tell me some about the, 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 like the chief temptations in your life right now? like the things that you're sharing in your community group that you have been wrestling with. I would guess that nobody is gonna say, you know what it is for me? It's first century Jewish mysticism. Like it, it's really, it's, it has my number right now. You know, I don't know what else to tell you, right? Uh, that's not what any of us would say. Here's where we, like, where we can identify though, it's this. Every one of us in here knows what it is to feel empty inside to have this deep longing and ache in your soul to be filled, to feel some sense of lack. Lacking because your friendships aren't what you want them to be. Lacking because your marriage is not what you wish it was. Lacking because your job feels meaningless. And so what you do then, the temptation that all of us have, is to try to fill that void in some way. And we do this in all kinds of ways. We do this by looking just to buy more stuff. We do this sometimes by, by just going on a better vacation. If we can just get into this place of comfort and, and escape, we're gonna be okay. Sometimes we do this through our work. 
Um, one of the, the greatest places to see this is in this chef, and his name is Dan Barber. This was from Chef's Table a number of years ago. This is a guy who has been incredibly successful. He owns these two restaurants, one in Manhattan and one uh, outside in rural New York. And they're at this point in Chef's Table, if you've ever seen this show, where they actually get pretty personal. He gets vulnerable about, uh, about what is actually driving him. And, and he says this. He says, there's something there that's driving me. It's not just that I want to drive the team. It also fills something in me that I need, apparently. There's one way to look at my life as really exemplary in the sense that we have two restaurants that have been very successful. And then there's another way that's quite sad. My life's work is the attempt to fill some kind of sadness or something I didn't have in my life that I wish I had, filling a void. He gets choked up. He can't finished sentence they pan back to him later and he says this isn't our life one attempt to fill a void after another I don't know if I'm succeeding or not but I'm trying hard that's what we try to do and what Paul is saying here is that none of those things are going to work every single one of those things will leave you empty because every one of them it is keeping us from the one place where that fullness can be found. And that fullness can be found in Christ and in him alone. And so that's where Paul turns in these next verses. And he mentions two, two gifts specifically that we have in Jesus. Here's the first. He says, you were filled in him. Verse nine, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So a couple things being said. The first is about Jesus. This one, uh, th th this one Jesus, is the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells. Jesus is fully God. And then he goes on to say this, though. That very same Jesus is the one who has now filled you. So not only do you have everything that you need in him, but this longing, this longing and this feeling of, of, of desire to fill this lack can only ever be satisfied in him. That's the first gift. You have now been filled in him. Here's the second. He says that you have died in him and you have, you have been raised with him. And so this is in verses 11 and 12. There's a whole lot going on in these passages. Let me just say two things about them. One is this, because you are united to Jesus, you, are, you have died with him. You have died with him. In other words, his death for sin is now counted as your death for your sin. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 11. He's talking, he mentions here about being circumcised with a circumcision without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now what Paul's talking about here is not a literal circumcision. Nor is he talking specifically about the literal circumcision of Jesus when he was an eight-day-old infant. What he's talking about here is a metaphorical sense in which circumcision is this cutting off of flesh in order to be clean. And he's saying here that this circumcision of Christ, this ultimate circumcision of Christ, is actually his death on the cross. In other words, in union with Jesus, you died with him. So that now his death is counted as your death. That's one gift. Here's the second thing, though. He says, also, united to Jesus, you have been raised with him, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so baptism is this sign and the seal and this guarantee of all of the benefits of union with Jesus. We have died with him, we've been buried with him, and now, gloriously, we have been raised with him. And there are all kinds of things that we could say about that last phrase. Let me just give one implication, and it's this. If you've put your faith in Jesus and been baptized into him, then the power of the resurrection is at work in your life right now. The way Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 is that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is now at work in you, which is an amazing thing to say. And so his point here is then to say over and over again, you already have everything you need in Jesus. You've already been filled in him. You've already died with him. All the penalty for your sin has been dealt with in him. You have now been raised with him, and all of this is yours in union with him. So stop looking elsewhere for it. We don't move beyond him. We go deeper into him. So thirdly then, and finally, because you have everything you need in Christ, you are free from the law's demands. You are free. And I think... This might be the place where you feel most acutely your need or your temptation for something more. And it arises when you feel the guilt of your sin. Because this is just one of those sort of, just an axiom almost, that there is this deep abiding belief in all of our hearts that God's love for us rises and falls based on what we do. And part of that is just, I almost want to say it's because of the way we're wired, but the world we live in is such that your status is based on what you do. That's how we're conditioned. That's how we think. And so then to believe, genuinely believe that the guilt of your sin has been dealt with by God and that you can now relate to him by grace and not by your works and what you do is so hard to believe. And so what does Paul say then? about our sin. How does he try to convince our hearts of this? Verse 13, he says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Let me press pause there. There is a really important word included, and it is the word all. Not some, not just the socially acceptable sins that you feel some degree of comfort sharing with other people, but all. From the, 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 the smallest, seemingly insignificant sins in your life that don't feel like that big of a deal, all the way up to that thing that you have never told anybody about because it feels so awful. It feels too big to be forgiven. The one that makes you cringe the one that, that, that embarrasses you, the one that you would give anything to forget. That sin is forgiven. Along with every single one of your other trespasses, all of them past, present, and future. How? How is that possible? Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it 
to the cross. And I think this is where we get one of the most vivid pictures of our sin. He uses this image here of a record of debt. And so that that was a really common image in the ancient world, and it's common for us too, right? We know exactly what Paul is talking about here. You can imagine, you don't want to, but you can. You can imagine a list of all of your sins, a record of every single thought, every single word, every single action, every single way that you have sinned against the Lord and against other people. And what Paul does is he says, there are two things that have happened to that record. One is this, that record has been canceled. And and that word literally could be translated as something like wipe away or blot out or be brought to nothing. That record now is not only crossed out, it is gone completely. It's as though Paul has taken this record of debt and he puts it in the paper shredder. And you can't put those pieces back together again, right? And then he shifts the picture a little bit though and he says the way that that record has been done away with completely is by nailing it to the cross. It's been nailed to the cross with your Savior. He goes on then to say something that feels a little odd in verse 15. Look back there. He says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is he talking about here and how does this connect to these forgiveness of sins? Here's what I think is happening. One of the ways that the evil one and all of his demonic ways in the world, one of the ways he's described in the New Testament is as the accuser. In other words, one of the ways that the evil one is at work in your life and in the lives of believers is by trying to throw your sin in your face. By to, to continue to remind you of that. By whispering the, 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 these sorts of words of condemnation and, and sowing these seeds of doubt that maybe Jesus' work doesn't really apply to you, or at least not to what you just did. And here's the thing, there is a massive difference between the the, the conviction of the spirit and the condemnation of the evil one because the, the conviction of the spirit leads you and points you towards Jesus. The condemnation of the evil one drives you away from him. And what Paul says here is that Jesus has disarmed the evil one and all demonic powers. He's defeated them and not only that, he says he's put them to open shame. And so the, the, the image here is, is this language of a parade. It's of a military victory. And so what would happen is that in a Roman military victory, they would take the losers, the king and the, uh, the remaining military, and parade them in open shame through a town. What Paul is saying is that that is what Jesus has done with these rulers and these authorities who would try to condemn you. He has overcome them, he's he's disarmed them, he's shown them to be nothing. Here's what's wild though. He did that in the most unlikely of ways. Nobody would ever in a million years think about the ultimate victory looking like this Jewish man hanging naked on a cross. And yet that is exactly what he did. In what looked like defeat, he actually accomplished the greatest victory the world has ever known. You see, that's ultimately the place to which you and I need to look. We've got to look to the cross to see the truth of what Paul is saying here. 
You have everything you need in Jesus. There's nothing more. Everything you need is found in him. And you already have that if you've put your faith in him. So let me close by reading that quote from Sinclair Ferguson again. This is what is true of you if you put your faith in him. Through the work of the Spirit, the Heavenly Father gives you to Jesus and gives Jesus to you. You have him. Everything you can ever lack is found in him. All you will ever need is given to you in him. That is the Jesus who offers himself to you. The one in whom everything you need is found. Let me pray for us. Father, we do give you thanks for the way that you have provided our every need in your son Jesus. And so Lord, we pray that we would walk in him just as we have received him. That we, being rooted and grounded in him, would continue to be built up in him and would continue to lay hold of him and cling to him in all of the ways that we have opportunity to do so. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.